Darling, sky, look upon, tumble, fall, mountain, sea, cry, shed, tear, trouble. What do these elements remind you of? Mm, landscapes. And gospel music. Oh, gospel music. You tricked me. Welcome to the Echo Spire Song Destruct podcast, where we reverse engineer the most influential songs in history. This is a tightly formatted show where we dive into the mechanics of songwriting and production, deconstructing chord structure, song architecture, production design, and arrangements. We rate and review the effectiveness of these song elements, and we evaluate what we can learn from them so that we can become better songwriters and designers. Thanks for joining me tonight, Ryan. Hey, how you doing, Wes? Today's show is titled Stand By Me versus Lean On Me. The theme being baseline driven songs, specifically the five, six, seven, eight sequence. Now I'm referring to the baseline of both songs, which tend to repeat over and over the, uh, let me just throw it onto the, uh, the key of C, G, A, B, C otherwise known as five, six, seven, eight in the key of C. First, let me start out by saying Stand By Me was written by Benny King and Lieber and Stroller. Lieber and Stroller are famous for sort of writing a lot of the Elvis. They're kind of the first that I know of, the first writing partner duo. Uh, that came before Lennon McCartney, of course, and all these writer teams of the 60s. As far as I know, Lieber and Stroller were the first. Now, they penned Charlie Brown. Who's that clown? That Char Charlie Brown. Yakety Yak. Yakety Yak, Don't Talk Back. Hound Dog by Elvis, of course. It's Stoller, though. It's Stoller. Oh, it's not Stroller? I don't think so. Well, you okay. were, I thought I thought I was wrong because you're the research guy. So I was like, "What's well, yeah. it's, it's got to be Stroller." I just heard it wrong. The whole no, it's, it's Stroller. Uh, so Jailhouse Rock, and of course Stand by Me, and I think Stand by Me was their last hit, their last kind of top tenor. And uh, fifty percent of the credit goes, at least on paper, goes to Benny King. That they gave him fifty percent of the royalties. Now, from what I've read on this story, it really was him kind of. Um, singing a cappella, an old church hymn, mm. and Lieber and Stoller uh, apparently kind of figured out the chord or the bass line. They, they basically drove the entire song off of that bass line. Okay, so this is released 1961. It goes to number four. Quick aside, John Lennon released it 1975. It went to number 20. Neither one of theirs went gold. Uh, you would think that a song is kind of pivotal and as influential as uh, Stand By Me, that it would have gone gold, but it did not. Uh, it did, in the future, drive the soundtrack of Stand By Me, the 1987, was it? 1987 movie. It did drive the sales, or 1986, and that went gold, the, the soundtrack from the movie Stand By Me but not the single in 1961. Benny King was of the Drifters. Now, the Drifters had many um, uh, lineups, and the Drifters were one of the most famous pop groups even before uh, Elvis. Even though I don't think they get credit for being a pop group, they're thought of as a doo-wop group, but doo-wop is pop music. 
Benny King was part of the 1958, 59, 1960 version. He actually left the Drifters to start his solo career, and this was his second hit. I think Spanish Harlem was his first hit. Uh, ultimately, this song brought him $22 million in royalties. Actually, no, that's the 100%. He got 50% of the $22 million. The $22 million in royalties is at least quoted as being one of the highest ranking royalty songs of the entire era, the 60s. Mm. Are you talking about life to date, $22 million? Correct. $22 million in royalties it's brought in just this one song. Ranks right. highest in its era, number six. What's number one? Don't know. I'll find that one out. Um, the source of this was dubious at best. Uh, these are one of those claims where it's no one's actually keeping track because this is royalty numbers are uh, privately held information. Yeah, that's what I thought. Somebody's claims to have done the math and that it ranks six highest. So as I teased at last week's episode, Stand By Me and Lean On Me sort of are bookends for the Motown period, even though neither one of them is associated with Motown. Motown kind of took off in 1961, and it kind of died in 1971-ish, 1972. Now, it did go all the way through the 90s with Boys to Men. And of course, Stevie Wonder kind of went on the label through the late 70s to have a big career. But Motown at that point had become more or less just a, a record label, not a sound. Stevie Wonder was his own pop group. But throughout the 60s, between Four Tops, Temptations, the Supremes, there was too many groups that can only be categorized as a Motown sound. What I want to do is kind of tease out how Lean On Me, which came in 1972, is a perfect bookend to the Motown sound. And it actually charted at number one, which is the first record we've reviewed that has charted at number one. It did go gold. Even in its own day, it sold 500,000 copies. And it went number one again in 1987 when Club Nouveau released their remake of Lean On Me. It was also included in the 1989 movie Lean On Me, starring Morgan Freeman. Both of these songs were basically resurrected 20, 25 years later. Stand By Me in 1986 with the movie Stand By Me. Lean On Me from 1971 was resurrected 17, 18 years later in 1989 with the movie. So getting into the song architecture, I was surprised to learn that there was enough here to actually talk about in terms of just the foundation, the sequencing of this song, going to Stand By Me first, starts with an intro. It does a first verse, a second verse, hits the chorus, very standard, goes back for a third verse, goes back to the chorus, then has the middle 16 string solo, and then it has the chorus outro. So pretty lean. What I found kind of interesting here was that there's a middle 16, not a middle eight, and that it's a string solo. And they kind of had to fill the song out, but the string solo kind of makes the song because that solo, which repeats itself, it basically goes up an octave. So it's a lower octave, middle eight, then it goes up an octave for another middle eight and repeats itself. The mood of this song is comfort, it's intimate, it's a human story, it's elegant, it's a gospel hymn. These are just kind of characteristics that I came up with. I wanna talk about some of the lyrics real quick. Night, land, dark, moon, light, sea, afraid, stand by me. All I'm taking is the main key word in each phrase. Darling, sky, look upon, tumble, fall, mountain, sea, cry, shed, tear, trouble. What do these elements remind you of? Mm landscapes and gospel music oh gospel music you tricked me 
I remember thinking about uh, when I was in China. They knew the song. One of the songs they knew in China was "Country Road." John Denver. Even though it mentions West Virginia, I, we thought about well, why do they know this song? And and I think that "Stand by Me" has a similar universality to it. It's certainly universal and would transcend language and borders because you do not have to understand the lyrics to understand that it's gospel music just by the way he's singing it with his raspy voice and the production is so intimate. And it calls to mind that movie, Stand By Me, which oh, yeah. just married it so perfectly. Train uh, tracks. People people left for dead. Um, okay, moving over. Real quick, though, do you, is, do you know if the melody at all is based on an old gospel song? Did he... Did he... Well, I mean, all gospel music has that sense of being uh, very familiar. Right. Kind of like the same the same melodies. So he was just singing something kind of off the top of his head that I think was reminiscent of a song that he, he was aware of. And they had already sort of begun to figure out this bass line. Right. And when they heard him singing, they said, let's try this under that. And they said, oh, that, that works quite well. And then they ran with it. Yeah. And that bass line, I know you're probably going to get to that part, but it's just sort of this perfect connective tissue underlying those chords, which we've just seen those chords a million times. But... That's kind of, with that groove, those are kind of the notes you just want to go to naturally. This is in the first five years of pop music, so it did not take them very long to, to figure out exactly. that bass line. <laughs> it makes sense that it came near the beginning, I mean, for sure. And, and of course, this chord sequence did actually come in year one. Uh, Unchained Melody was actually a song from the middle 50s. I think originally had no uh, lyrics, no melody, and it was used in a movie. And it's kind of the classic chord progression, C, A minor, F, G. Of course, uh, it kind of evolved. I think somebody else added lyrics to it. And then the Righteous Brothers ended up doing the, 10 years later, the quintessential version. So they get the credit for really popularizing the song. But it was a popular song. I think it was a top 10 hit in its day. But again, we're talking the early days of pop when there was maybe 100 songs released in year one and year two. And then it started to go to 1,000 songs released a year, 10,000 songs released a year. So let's look at Lean On Me. The architecture, underlying architecture, the sequence, it comes in with the intro, just like Stand By Me, the, the bass intro. Sometimes in my life, we all have pain. So it comes in with the intro, which is just humming, gets into the first verse, hits the chorus, goes to a second verse, hits a bridge, and it's a 16-bar bridge. Comes back from that to a chorus, goes back into the 16-bar bridge, comes out to a verse, and does an outro. So they only play the chorus twice before each bridge. You can tell that when he's writing this, he could not get himself out of singing the same melody over and over and over. So he just ended up writing the same melody to make the chorus. The bridge, when he says, you just call on the brother when yeah. you need a hand, he goes right back to the chorus. We all need somebody to lean on. He was stuck, but he did make the song work because that little 16-bar bridge does get you out of the rest of the song's repetitive scheme. And I will say this, too, that Bill Withers, all three of his songs have breakdowns where the music yeah. cuts out. Yeah, I was going to say, this: the breakdown on this is 
pretty much just bass, right? Not even bass. They're just doing the the hand clapping. They're saying, you just call yeah. on the brother. And, and there's a little, uh, I think a little floor tom in there. If there's a little bit of bass, they only bring it in when they say, you, we all need somebody to lean on. Bass pretty much drops out. Now, his first hit, which came a year before, Ain't No Sunshine When She's Gone, you'll remember that that bridge is, I know, 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 yeah. I know. <laughs> so this is the Bill Withers, like when he doesn't know what else to do, he pulls the music out and starts to do a chant. That's his way of kind of breaking free. My friend was telling me that was a trivia question one night at Trivia. How many times does Bill Withers say I know in, uh, <laughs> in that section? So I would describe this song as urban. Bill Withers' voice is uh, just absolutely soft, smooth, velvety. It's quiet. Even when it gets into the breakdown, you just call on me, brother. That's still kind of a quiet. They're kind of playing this almost like they don't want to wake up the neighbors while they're recording it. Lyrics, let's talk about those real quick. Just picking out the keywords. Pain, sorrow, wide, tomorrow, swallow pride, borrow, I needs, I got let's show. Gospel. Yes. <laughs> Strong friend, carry on, lean on me, brother, hand, gospel. I'm learning. Let's go on to the chords. Stand by me. Either singing root, third, fifth, sixth, major seven. The lesson that I kind of take away from these chords, which are just C, A minor, F, G, over and over and over, it never deviates from that chord pattern, which is known as the 50s progression. With Stand By Me, they're not singing anything close to the bass line versus Lean On Me, he is singing. Sometimes in my life, he's singing the exact bass notes as they uh, go up. We all have pain, he's coming down. Stand By Me, when the night has come and the land is dark. With those notes, they have nothing to do with the bass line, it, but it's more difficult to do. If you're a beginning songwriter, anytime you write something that's heavily bass driven or anything driven on any particular note that you're picking out from your strumming of the guitar, the strumming of the piano, it's tough to get away from the prominence of those notes. What you see here with this professional songwriting team working alongside Benny King, they're quickly able to get away from that. It works quite well that he's singing around the notes, not singing the notes. And I do think that that's always going to be a much more effective way to go about writing music is do not follow. I think that Bill Withers does it effectively, but do not follow the same notes that are coming out of the bass or the same notes that are coming out of guitar. It's this. I told you last time I said, uh, stumbled upon this week, one of my least favorite. I thought one of my least favorite songs. I, I had to take a good long look at Lean On Me this week. I hated that song growing up. And I think the reason is what you're talking about. In general, I don't, I think rules are meant to be broken. I feel like, like you're saying, when you first start out writing songs, you're just, you sing a lot of root notes you follow the, if you're trying to write little riffs you end up singing to the riff and you don't even know that it's not maybe desirable in creating a little more complex complexity in, your, in music i think that obviously bill withers did this on purpose it, he wanted it to be very plodding up and down it's purposeful so I, I don't, yeah. you know, I understand that. I personally just don't like the verses. The symmetrical up and down is annoying to me. I've never liked it. I actually do like the chorus because in the chorus, he actually isn't singing the same melody. At first, I thought it was just singing an octave higher. And his voice is fantastic, especially when he goes up high. Let's talk about the chords on it. It's C, F, C, E minor, D minor. And a little bit of controversy here. Uh, every time I go looking for the chords on a song, I'm always 
kind of surprised at how poorly the internet, you, you would think that there'd be some people out there who would kind of dominate on smartly transcribing songs, but there's a lot of bad information out there. What do you look at? I always look at this one, the same one. That, um... I literally look at like 20 of them. I look okay. at Google images and try to find sheet music. I try to find different websites. They're always wrong. Well, the one that always pops up first uh, gives you options to see which like people can rate them. Sometimes it's the blind leading the blind, though, because a lot of people don't know how to transcribe, and they'll say, yeah, it sounds kind of like it. Five stars. Right. Yeah. But uh, I'm a stickler on these things, and this song is CFC. And then when he goes into the, you need to borrow, that's E minor, D minor. And a lot of transcriptions will call it G or G7. Right. But it's E minor, D minor. It's obvious if you actually play it. And the reason why it's kind of difficult to figure that out is because I don't know if it's a poorly recorded song or if they intentionally meant to do it, but the bass falls out. Therefore, it's tough to figure out what the chord is because obviously the bass tends to denote what the chord is, but it is E minor, D minor. And in the uh, coda, when he goes, just call me when you need a friend, call me, that's a C9 C. And that will be a show that we do at some point in the future, all based off of the ninth or what's also the second tone in the scale. Anytime you hear that note, it produces a certain feeling. This song exploits it very well with this coda, kind of a comfort tone. Bruce Springsteen used it a lot. Strokes used it a lot. And I'll bring those together in a future episode. Quick lesson to take from this. You can pull out the bass note and it creates an ambiguity in the chord and it can kind of create complexity that sometimes works quite well. And I think in this song, it works quite well, which is kind of very plain and simple. And it gives this song just a little bit more complexity that it sorely needs because it is a little bit tired some to go through the same chord progression over and over and over. Okay, talking about the production now, stand by me. Here's what the arrangement is. It's utilizing a triangle, a stand-up bass, bells. The triangle is hitting on the fourth quarter note, so one, two, three, ting. There's a gourd used for scratching, uh, so that's the little rip. One, two, and so that's that's what's getting that little bit of funk going on to the stand by me. Da da dun. Dun, 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 dun. Let's talk about the lean on me real quick. It's also got a very similar funk thing going on. When, when he gets into the middle eight or the middle the, the middle sixteen, let's call it. You just call on the brother when you need a hand. Going back to stand by me instruments, we have a raspy voice. Lean on me. He's basically a baritone singing at the high end of his register, which is very reminiscent of Jim Morrison. And I'll say that uh, Jim Morrison was upstream or kind of a predecessor, even though I don't think anyone in their right minds ever compared the two. They should be compared. Jim Morrison, despite being a white boy, was very much one of the first kind of uh, popularized blues singers to reach the top 20 of the charts and to be singing at the high end of his register, which is kind of, to me, the quintessential Jim Morrison sound. Before him, blues singers were singing, or baritones were typically singing in their proper register down low. So when they begin to sing up high, you get the Bill Withers sound that you hear on Lean On Me. Also in Lean On Me, we have some strong bass guitar fills going on. So it's such a lean production structure. Anytime anyone wants to take the spotlight, it's quite easy to do. Bass guitarist kind of has some cool fills in there. The brotherly callouts or the 
you just call on the brother when you need a hand. We all need somebody to have them joined in there with other singers. That kind of produces what they're looking for, the, the, the ultimate mood of the song, which is to be, we could call it gospel, but let's also just call it a sing-along. That's a quick lesson when in doubt. Think your song might be a sing-along. Utilize some of the same elements you would hear in Lean On Me. The movie Lean On Me. Yes. Did it not feature the Bill Withers version? I think they included Club Nouveau's because it made sense to, because it was an inner city movie where no one was listening to 1972 Bill Withers. They were listening to um, kind of a hip hop in the movie. That's interesting because I grew up knowing this song and I remember the movie coming out and I always associated the two. So I assumed that version I knew growing up was the Bill Withers version, but there could have been another version that I don't, I don't think I've heard since. The Club Nouveau version is very different. It's, it's hip hop. But you probably know of the other version just because the other version is included in a lot of beginner piano books because it's so easy to play. Right. If you were to walk into some kind of a music school or, you know, at our middle school, someone would have been playing that song. Yeah, I think I played it on the piano, actually, now that you bring that up. So let's talk about influences of each of these songs. So if you if you go back to Stand By Me, I will again cite Sleepwalk from 1959, the instrumental, as a major influence to this song. It came two years before. And I think this Sleepwalk influenced a lot of music, uh, mostly because I think of it as being, there's nothing that came before Sleepwalk that I've been able to find where I can say, oh, okay, that's what Sleepwalk's borrowing from. I think Sleepwalk was a new sound. And I think a lot of producers liked how effective it was at producing a out-of-body experience, if we can call it that. But ultimately, the production sells Stand By Me. And the production, the only thing I can think of, borrows from sleepwalk now if we go to 10 years later 12 years later with lean on me the influences there would be obviously stand by me but i also think jim morrison as i discussed before influenced the sound or the doors and i think that stevie wonder heavily influenced just because stevie wonder's sound tends to be kind of funky and groovy i don't know if he gets enough credit for it but stevie wonder did drive a lot of these urban trends that would later surface at the end of the 70s with the advent of rap and in the 80s with hip-hop stevie wonder i would credit with pretty much driving all that but he had some other people accompanying him on that such as bill withers so all of it goes back to Stevie Wonder, Bill Withers, and a handful of others, but uh, Bill Withers had the number one hit. And of course, when they came up with the movie 17 years later, starring Morgan Freeman, that movie didn't call itself some Stevie Wonder song. It's called itself Lean On Me. So let me actually grade these. Uh, I'm going to break out the grades a little bit. So in terms of sequence or architecture of Stand By Me for its day, I'd give it a seven. Um, it's far more intelligent in, in terms of how it structured itself than today. But for its era, a lot of stuff coming out of 1961 was creative in its sequencing. So I'll give it a 7. Lyrics, 9 out of 10. Uh, production, a 10 out of 10. And overall, I'd give the song a 9. And let me just quickly jump over to Lean On Me. I'd give Lean On Me the uh, lyrics a 6 out of 10. The sequencing of the song, 7 out of 10. Fairly interesting with the uh, the bridge. Production, I give that a 7 out of 10. 
And overall, I would just call this song a, a solid 7 out of 10. So if Stand By Me wins with a 9, what would you give it? For me, Stand By Me is, is a 9 or a 10. Not only is it just one of the greatest songs ever written, my favorite artist of all time covered it, and I don't even want to listen to his version. <laughs> it sucks, and it pales in comparison to the original. So yeah, I, We're I talking about John Lennon. I just think if you don't have a new spin on something or you can make it better and prove on it in any way, just don't do it. It, it was right before. Before he disappeared, yeah, nineteen seventy-five. So yeah, that, that was like his swan song. Yeah, go hide, go hide, John. With all his talent, I can't remember. Did John Lennon do a full? Did he do a full covers album? Is that was that yeah. on there? Was that the rock and roll? Rock and roll. Album? Yeah, that's right. All right, it makes sense that he did, and he wanted to honor his heroes and all. But um, anyway, lean on me. Like I said earlier, I have a new perspective on it. I, I appreciate it more. I'm willing to forgive that I just don't like, I just personally, my taste is I don't like the verse, but I'll give that one a five out of 10. Oh, harsh. Let's talk about what's going to be on next week's episode. So I'm doing Uptown Funk versus Footloose. All right, we finally got a little energy. Well, we got to start doing some of the songs that are chart breakers. I mean, these two songs, I think, are this is Holyfield versus Mike Tyson. This, these are two of the biggest songs in all of music history. Not just talking about sales, but talking about how they're written. People hear this song and they want to dance, they want to live. So we're going to talk about what elements lend themselves to creating these huge magnum opuses. As always, I just want to say that this podcast is in support of a project I'm going to be releasing in 2020. It's a social network for aspiring songwriters to share and collaborate with other songwriters through gamification of the constructive feedback process. As always, thanks for listening and we will see you next episode. Happy Thanksgiving.